This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Lang's researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah and I, well, one, I should start with baseball's actually here. So that's fun to actually have things to talk about and not just have to uh, try to make up as much as we can as we go here. So baseball's actually back now. And in honor of that, we want to start previewing everything around the league. And so we want to go week by week, division by division, and bringing on guests to help us talk about each one. So for this week, we want to start with the NL West. We'll have our Dodgers writer, Juan Toribio, coming on with us. So we have uh, at least a little bit more expertise coming in from that division. But Sarah, uh, I'm sure you are just in your prime right now seeing all of the pictures and videos of all of the pitchers and catchers reporting. Oh my gosh, I mean, it's been amazing on Twitter, like what, it's only been two days, and yet it feels like it's been going on forever, and uh, as you mentioned, yeah, I want us to preview, and I feel like people always start with the Eastern Division, so you and I were texting last night, and I was like, we have to start with either the ALS or the NLS, because nobody ever does, and so... Uh, nobody better to bring in than the reporter, as you mentioned, who covers the Dodgers or the reigning uh, class of the NL West. And I think one of the biggest questions entering the year, and we can start with this for you, Juan, is just are the Dodgers still the best team in this division? Or are the Padres now the class of that division after everything they did this offseason? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I can't believe I finally made it onto the podcast. So, <laughs> thank you for guys, thank you guys for having me. Here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think until I think Freddie Freeman put it best: until someone beats them, um, they are the class of the NL West. Um, it's been nine of the last ten years. It took a historic giant season in order for anyone to kind of take them down. So, um, San Diego is much better. Um, they kind of have that momentum of, you know, we just beat you guys in the playoffs last year, and now we're going to take the, the division. Um, but the Dodgers are still really good. I think a lot of people are, are focusing, including myself, uh, on what they've lost. But they still have Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, the, the list goes on. They're still a really talented team, and I think uh, it's going to be a two-team race. I think I don't see the other three teams kind of contending for that top spot but i think the the gap has definitely um narrowed here over the last couple of years between the dodgers and padres and um it's gonna be really fun it's not gonna be a division like last year where they won it in september 11th like i think this is gonna come down to the last weekend of the regular season and i think that that's good for for baseball and that's good for the nl west 
What I think is funny, I mean, at least from my perspective of covering a, a team like the Guardians who are in a completely different uh, financial bracket, but to hear everyone keep talking about, yes, the Dodgers lost things, but to talk about the quiet offseason that they had, and I'm looking at it from the perspective of what I've covered the last few years, and I'm thinking that was an active offseason. Um, so it was very comical from my perspective to see that, and I know that you just reported the other day um, about Alex Reyes, and so there's definitely moves that they're still making to be that team. My question to you is, like, what – what do you think is their goal here? Because I know they want to get their finances in order, but do you think that they, again, speaking from my expertise of seeing teams be able to figure out how to balance finances and winning, do you think they're going to be able to find that balance here as the season goes on? Yeah, I think so. And I think maybe at one point in the off season they were kind of trying to stay under that CBT line uh, or kind of hug it as much as they possibly could. Um, they tried for guys like Justin Verlander. That didn't work out. So that would have blown them past the CBT. So it wasn't necessarily that they were trying to stay under. Um, it just once they missed on some of those guys, they were like, okay, maybe uh, there's nothing else out there. Um, and then, you know, as the offseason progressed and they're, they're still adding. So now I don't think it's, I don't think that's even part of it anymore. The, the, the finances aspect of it. I think that now they're just trying to feel the best team that they can. Um, you know, understanding that they missed on a lot of guys earlier this offseason. I mean, Jester Verlander would have been a huge get. And they, they kind of need another guy in that rotation. Um, they couldn't get it. Instead, they got a guy like Noah Syndergaard, uh, who they hope can kind of, on a one-year deal, play for his next contract. So I think that's those are the type of moves that they ended up making. Um, and they, they definitely kept some flexibility for next offseason. And I think we all know who's, who's on the market next offseason. Uh, so we show Otani would be out there and a couple other really good players. I mean, they have to try and re-sign Julio Rios. So they have a lot of guys that they're going to have to bring back or try and get uh, in free agency. So I think part of their moves were will, will stay in one-year deals. And, you know, Noah Syndergaard was one year. J.D. Martinez was one year. Um, the list goes on. They didn't go any multi-year deals. So I think that was mostly the thinking behind it. I think people misunderstood it as like, oh, they're trying to stay under the CBT. And I don't think that that was necessarily the case. I think it's just how the offseason played out. They were kind of thinking about it, and then ultimately they're, they're going to be over anyway. So um, now it's just about trying to win. It is, and one of the guys who's absolutely going to help them do that, you mentioned Mookie Betts and just this idea that they still have a lot of really good guys, even with you know the focus on guys they've lost. And I just want to mention what Mookie Betts is projected to do this year. So if you take a look at Fangraphs and Steamer projections, he's projected for 5.9 more, which is third in the majors among position players behind Juan Soto, obviously in the division. And then Aaron Judge, he's projected to uh, hit 31 homers, drive in 84 runs, 18 stolen bases, <coughs> and slug uh, 490. So I think that to me sounds like the best parts of his season last year kind of amplified. And we saw him really getting into a groove with home runs kind of towards the end of the season. And it's good to see that the projections kind of have that continuing. Yeah, I mean, I think... Mookie Betts has somehow become the most underrated superstar in, in, in the game, probably. 
I mean, it, it is kind of part of that East Coast bias, right? Like when he was with Boston, everyone knew how great he was. Uh, and now half of the country is just not staying up to watch him play uh, here in L.A. I think that might play a part of it. But, I mean, he's still incredible. And Freddie Freeman, uh, I think we all kind of appreciated what he could do on a 90 basis last year. I mean, I think we all knew how good he was. But seeing him every single day, you, you realize exactly how good he actually is. Uh, so you have those two guys, and I think Will Smith is another guy who doesn't get enough credit for the type of production that he brings um, in general, but especially for a catcher. So you have those three guys at the top of your order. You're not going to replace Trey Turner. That's just not going to happen. Um, that's a huge loss. Uh, but they still have a lot of pieces. And I think the the big question is, what do they do from seven from the sixth hole to the ninth, to the ninth spot in the, in the lineup? Last year, that the, kind of the, the depth and the length of that lineup was their strength. Um, I don't think that's quite there this season. Uh, they're going to need Gavin Lux to take another step. They're going to need Miguel Vargas to become you know, an everyday player in the big leagues. Uh, and they're going to need J.D. Martinez to kind of turn back the clock a little bit. Uh, his first half last year was incredible. His second half, not so much. I mean, is that a sign of things to come? I mean, we'll have to see. Or if it's just, you know, he had a bad couple of months. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of question marks with this team, but... I mean, Sarah, I, I went on a podcast with you last, that's off, like, like what, last September, and I was like, there's so many questions with this team, and they had like 100 wins by that point. Uh, so it's not nothing new. I mean, they always have a lot of questions. Um, they do things a little bit different, uh, even for a team with a lot with a high payroll. So I think it's just kind of part of it. It's part of the fun. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see what this new look kind of Dodgers do, do after, you know, winning 111 games last year. But they lost, they played four games in the playoffs. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily like a great, this is a great season. It, just, it ended pretty sour and now it's time to turn the page a little bit. One of the funny things that I read this week and it was, it was one of our, uh, it was our White Sox reporter, Scott Merkin wrote his newsletter lead all about how much he hates that analysts have to give predictions during this time of year because he's like no one knows anything I hate predictions this is a waste of time but anyway here's three predictions for you on the White Sox season and it was just so funny how he set it up because it's it's the same no one knows anything and I agree with him we no one knows how it's going to work out it's all wait and see but of course here we are doing it and I'm going to follow his act apparently after reading that and sort of ask you to predict into the future because it's fun in a way to start imagining this beyond this season what do you think are maybe the realistic expectations that Shohei Otani comes across uh, town from Angels to Dodgers and could end up landing that monstrous whatever amount of money that's going to be there? Yeah, I'll try to do this without <laughs> that line somewhere. <laughs> um, but, I mean, there's always a shot. I mean, they're, they're the Dodgers. They're supposed to be in on this type of player. Um, this might be the only time that anyone can try and get Shohei Otani for the rest of his career. So I think every team with the financial flexibility is trying to set them, themselves up to try and get, you know, probably the best talent we've ever seen. So I, I think there's a realistic shot. Um, the money is going to be ridiculous. Uh, no. So I think that narrows it down, right? Like, just if you think about it logically, the money is going to be ridiculous. How many teams can actually shut out a deal like that? And I think the Dodgers are one of the handful of teams that can do that. 
which automatically puts him in the race for for Shohei Otani. And, you know, West Coast team, uh, a lot easier for a guy from Japan to kind of stick around here. It makes it easier for you know his family back home to watch him play. There's a lot of factors that go into staying in the West Coast. Um, but, I mean, who knows? There's, I mean, you have a team in New York who the owner is just throwing money everywhere that he can. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, if they come in with like 800 million, like, what do you do? (laughs) (laughs) Can you sign him? (laughs) Like, Uh, like, is that even ridiculous to to think that Cohen's just like, here, he's $700 million, just come play in New York. It sounds ridiculous right now, but when you think about it, like, I don't think I would be shocked by any number. No. I really don't. What's 350? I mean, if you give... Well, Manny Machado is getting what three hundred, and then, like Verlander, I guess for the for the same length would be another three hundred. I mean, that's six hundred right off the bat if you add two players, which is I don't know. I, I'm we're getting a, I'm like throwing out. <laughs> I'm just saying Cohen throws ridiculous amount of numbers out there, so I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but I think the Dodgers are obviously going to be in the mix. And uh, I'm going to kind of jump on to the idea of predictions a little bit and ask you to predict. I don't need a number. I don't need number one. But I do want to know where you think the division nets out in terms of one through five. And to give you a moment to think about it, I'll tell you how Pagoda came out today from Baseball Prospectus. They have the Dodgers winning the division at 97 and 64 uh, 64.6, there's a rounding. Uh, uh, the Padres in second, 94 and 68, so pretty close there. Uh, they have the Giants in third, 81.9 and 88.1. Uh, Dimebacks and exits, 70.7, 91.3. And then the Rockies at the bottom was 65.6. Again, the decimal points are because it's simulations and stuff. But uh, where do you have the division turning out one through five? Yeah, I think I'll, I mean, I think I'll probably stick with the Dodgers at number one for now. Um, and then San Diego, number two, like a close second. Uh, and then three to five, I'd probably go D-backs at number three. Number four, the Giants. I know your family's going to want to kill me after this, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I do like that D-backs team. I mean, we saw them in September last year, and I was thinking, like, this is a pretty feisty little team. Um, and it looks like they got better. And over the offseason, so I'm in on them. Uh, and then the Rockies, number five. I'm not in on them. So I think those are probably like one through five, what I'll go with. Um, but I will say, like, with the Dodgers, it is interesting because, I mean, I think we kind of saw the dynamic of having four stars at the top of the, of, you know, the, top of the order last, last year with the Dodgers. And now that's going to happen on the other side. Uh, in San Diego. Now they're the ones that have the four guys at the top of the order. And I think what we kind of learned from that was it released, you know, it kind of relieves so many other people in the lineup. Like at five through nine, they don't have to be, they don't have to like go crazy for the full season in order for them to be successful. Um, and I think it even kind of makes it easier for the top four to know like, okay, if I'm not, if I'm struggling, this guy might be on. Uh, when now you look at the Dodgers, and a lot of it's going to come down to Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. Um, you know, if they get hurt, if they if they go cold for a month, um, I think that's going to hurt them more this year than it could have last year. Uh, so the division is pretty tight. I mean, those two teams are going to they're going to slug it out. I'm pretty excited to see those. What is this? 
15 games now between the two teams, like 15, 14, 13, I don't know, whatever the new schedule is. Um, but those are going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see San Diego coming out on top. I really agree about the Diamondbacks. I mean, they're not in that class with the Dodgers and the Padres, but I also, apologies to my mother, have them finishing third there. I really liked how they looked in September. Corbin Carroll is the definite favorite to win uh, NL Rookie of the Year. We saw his speed in September and uh, really, really fun to watch. And, uh, you know, we've just seen that team transforming a bit. So they're not going to uh, compete in that in that echelon this year. But I am excited to watch them. And, you know, if we're making picks, I agree with you. I am taking the Dodgers to win the division. Uh, but I do think that the Padres will be closer. I mean, it'll be different than what we saw when, you know, the Giants won 106 and the Dodgers won 105. But I like the prediction here of one team around 97, one team around 94, 95. That seems to make sense to me. And, you know, for the Padres, the thing I'll say, and, you know, nobody is more excited to watch Juan Soto in that lineup than me. But we know that the team that wins the offseason isn't always the team that wins the World Series. And that's kind of the expectations I think the Padres are dealing with. It's the Padres and the Mets, I think, who are considered to have won the offseason. And we'll see what that means in October. Yeah, I think the Padres won the offseason two offseasons ago. I mean, they got Snell, Darvish, Musgrove. Um, They signed Kim. And then they didn't even make the playoffs. So, I mean, to your point, I think there, there's we just gotta wait and kind of see that the games. Uh, we do have to make these predictions and like preview the season. Um, but anything can go wrong, right? Like at any moment, things can change. Um, I do hope that it is a close division race, though. I mean, like it was, it was kind of boring last year. I'm not gonna lie. Like it was. I mean, for four months, the division was over. Uh, so that wasn't like it, there was no excitement for the last month and a half, and I think the NL West, given that you know obviously East Coasters aren't necessarily staying up uh, till one in the morning to watch a game. I know when I was in the East Coast, I didn't stay up till one in the morning to watch the games. I uh, do. But if there's a race, like that makes it exciting. Some people might actually want to stay up, and and you know Padres Dodgers becoming a new Yankees Red Sox. I think that would be kind of cool. Uh, I think we got a taste of that two two years ago. You know, there were some fights and stuff, and it was awesome, and then the Padres kind of, like, went downhill. Uh, so if you can get back to that, that'd be cool. Juan, thank you so much for joining us. Read his stuff at Dodgers.com. You can follow him on Twitter, Juan Cicribio, and I think that is everything that we need from the NL West this week. Juan, we will, I will see you around spring training. Um, Sarah will be here soon enough and can join us out here. Um, but we'll definitely make sure we have you back on the podcast again, since clearly you were so honored to join us today. It took long enough for the first one, so I'll, I'll wait patiently for the second one. <laughs> Thank you, Juan. Uh, Sarah and I will we'll take a quick break right now, and we'll get into all things spring training when we come back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Uh, Juan, fun to talk to Juan. Always fun to talk to Juan. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. So, uh, and yes, I didn't realize it was his first time on the podcast either. I'm sure we'll hear about that for all eternity now. But hey, we got it. It's better than not having him at all. Um, as we sort of alluded to, he and I are both already out here in Arizona, um, and I just got here, which would be last night, Monday, um, February 13th, and won't be seeing my house again until the first week of April, which seems weird. Um, but this is the most, honestly, aside from the postseason, I think this is the most enjoyable time of year because it's such a different atmosphere, atmosphere and people who haven't come to spring training it's harder to understand that when you're just looking from afar everyone is so relaxed uh obviously everyone's getting ready and working hard for the season but you don't have guys living and dying on every single pitch you don't have guys needing that perfect outing or needing to go four for four and getting frustrated when they don't get every single result that they're ready that they're looking for because they're just trying to get ready for the year they're dusting off some of the rust they're going through different things working on new pitches whatever it might be everyone's in this happy enjoyable mood and everything is fun and um, starters only playing a few innings and so by the end of the games you're seeing all these young players who are just like wide-eyed and so excited to just be around the big league team and the the thing about spring training is just that there's it's so relaxed that it brings a different level of enjoyment for the game that I I I just don't think you can replicate during the seriousness of a season so this is one of my favorite times of year I love it and there are two things I kind of want us to get into Uh, The first is I've never covered spring training as a reporter as you have, uh, but we've talked about it plenty. Obviously, I've been on Twitter and seen what goes on, but I would love for us to talk a little bit kind of behind the scenes, which is one of my favorite things to interview you about and just kind of find out what the day-to-day is like. But before we get there, I will give my pitch for spring training from the sort of fan side. Obviously, I'm not, you know, a fan of the team anymore or anything like that. But when I go to spring training, which I've been doing every year since 2010, it's really the only time that I sit in the stands like a fan. And uh, I've been going with my mother uh, since 2010. We went with my grandmother every year through 17. Then my mom and I went 18, 19, 20. Everybody gets a year off for the pandemic. <laughs> and then uh, we went back last year and my dad came for the first time. So 
I've been lucky enough to know the joys of spring training for a long time now. And, you know, if you were listening to this and you've never gone, uh, consider this a uh, tourism bureau type, uh, you know, PSA that you should absolutely check it out in either location, Florida or Arizona, if you're ever in uh, the situation where uh, it is possible. I mean, as Mandy was saying, the atmosphere, I would say that all of that is palpable, even if you aren't interviewing players or having that direct contact that Mandy has. I mean, just sitting in the stands, you really get that feeling of newness. I mean, all of the Hope Springs internal stuff that kind of sounds like a Hallmark card really truly feels real when you were sitting there at spring training and you know you mentioned how starters don't play every uh every inning and that's actually one of my favorite parts and I remember explaining this to my dad when uh, we went down to Arizona last spring and I was explaining to him like you're gonna see we went for the Giants for my mom and I was like you're going to know the fifth string shortstop for the Giants and then in the middle of August he's gonna get called up and you're gonna be like oh yeah we saw that guy I remember that guy and there were so many players like that whether it was on the Giants or on another team and there's a really special sort of feeling when you can say oh I saw that guy when and I know them I think that's something that really appeals to sports fans. I mean, I feel like every now and then uh, our MILB or Pipeline Twitter account will kind of say, who's the guy you saw when he was in the minors on his way up? And spring training sort of allows you that possibility as well. And I mean, I go back on my computer and I have pictures of Brandon Crawford in his first big league camp in, I guess, 2011, because he debuted in 2012. And he's wearing like number 74. This is a guy whose number at the big league level has always been 35. But like, you get guys doing stuff like that. I mean, the moment that we talked about with Julio Rodriguez in 2018 at the end of the podcast last week, that was from November. But you get those moments. You get those guys who are a year away, but you know they're a big deal. I mean, I can remember in 2010, everybody knew Buster Posey was the next big thing. He had been a September call-up in 09, played a couple of games, wasn't expected to make the big league roster necessarily, but everybody, every fan was crowding him. Everybody wanted to see Buster Posey. And for him to come up at the end of May, May 29th, make his you know debut for real now, and go on to win Rookie of the Year, guide the team to World Series and for my mom and grandma and I to be like hey we saw him on March 11th like there's just a different feeling with that so I think anytime you can experience baseball in a whole new way it's a really cool opportunity. I agree 
I mean, we could pitch it for hours. We, it's <laughs> one of the coolest things. It's a blast. There's a reason. I mean, Sarah's the craziest person on the planet when it comes to baseball, but there's a reason that she keeps coming back every single year. It truly is a blast. So, um, yeah, Sarah, where do you, where do we want to go with this on the behind the scenes stuff? And, and what are things that maybe you're curious about of how the day to day goes? Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm curious about now, let's start with that, is okay, camps are open. They've opened over the last few days, or they open today, tomorrow. And I know you were tweeting photos, posting some videos. So what does that look like? You show up to Goodyear, to the facility, and what? We find out. We get a good idea of what their workout schedule will be like the next day. Um... And from there, you start to figure out what time players are starting to show up. So players get there before games get started. Players get there around 7 in the morning or so. They start getting ready. I know. It's a long day. Um, not for me. Not for us sleeper inners that are not me. Um, but they get there early. They get through all of their treatment that they need to do to make sure that their bodies are prepared for all the workouts. Um, obviously, they've gone through workouts all winter long but still that body needs to get back into the everyday grind that is the baseball season so that's this is like the slow warm-up to that um so in the early days you start to just see a couple guys come in and stretch you see guys um and start doing light workouts and so today was well, Cal Quantrill was anything but a light workout because he was throwing with all of his might and had his leg come flying through his delivery. And it seemed like, I'm like, dude, are you ready to go midseason right now? But it's used to seeing guys like Shane Bieber today where it's a lot lighter of an arm motion. You don't see them throwing with all of their might. You just start to get into the repetition of throwing as consistently as they do throughout the year. Batting practice, well, batting practice is really the same any time of year, it seems like. But um, it was funny for me watching it today. Oscar Gonzalez, we've talked about him plenty of times, the SpongeBob SquarePants man from Cleveland. Um, he is... He has a, a level of power that my brain can't comprehend because I was standing on the field today watching it and he had him like he miss hit a ball and it seemed like it got in on his hands. It wasn't solid contact and it went over the fence and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And then he missed hit another one and he was frustrated. Like he was, you could tell, like he like yelled out a no, like a noise or something of like, ah, like I didn't get it. And it went off the wall. And I'm like, dude, how can you miss hit it the way that you did these last two and still hit the ball like that? Tyler Freeman, one of their utility infielders, um, was giving him a hard time for that. You could, I could hear him yelling at him saying, oh, man, miss hit that one. It only hit the one house across the street. Like, But that's what it is. These guys are ridiculous, one. But it's just slowly getting back there, working on your point of contact, making sure your mechanics didn't slip at all over the winter when you were working. And then as you get closer and closer to opening day, these workouts turn into more intensity. Um, You see them going harder uh, in drills. You see them picking up the pace in drills. It just everything starts to get... Um, the workloads get higher, things that you're going to be prepared for for 162 of these things over the next few months. I love that his miss hit goes, you know, 400 flying feet on day one of spring training. Day one, Sarah. I'm sitting there and I'm like, 
I just don't understand that level of power that that just pure natural strength because it's not like he's a huge dude um unlike Josh Bell who I saw for the first time today and I think he could snap a uh, tree stump in half um but Oscar Gonzalez is like he's tall but it's not like he's this jacked guy that you're like oh yeah he has insane power no just miss hitting it well over the fence it yeah it's impressive and then once correct yeah you know the usual and then once games get started they go through the same process every morning they go through their workouts they're a little bit lighter um and then the starters head over to the game and then they play however many innings earlier in the in the spring it's few a few innings two three depending on the position and then a pitcher might just throw 15 pitches, 20 pitches. It just depends on what they need um, to ramp up. And then by the end of the season, or I should say the spring, they're starting to get way more closer to playing that full game. Um, so it's all a buildup, and it's fun to watch. That's always a fun thing about spring training is that the road team almost never takes BP at the ballpark where they'll be playing that day. They almost always, as you alluded to, uh, in my experience, what I've seen, they take BP at their normal spring facility and then head over. I know a lot of teams, at least pre-COVID, used to sometimes open up the park, let fans even come in if they want to, and uh, watch BP before the team heads over somewhere else. That's Arizona. I know Florida's a little different because some of the distances a bit further but uh just to the point that it's a very different world despite being the exact uh, same sport now i'm curious how your day is different once those games start so obviously we're not really going to care who won or lost the spring training game so what are you looking for on a day when you're covering a game and how does your time in the press box and pregame and postgame differ from what you do during the regular season? During the regular season, it is very results-based. You, Every fan base wants to see their team win every single day, and that makes sense. Um, more wins, closer you are to the playoffs, and so that's what people care about. During the spring, there's nothing to play for. It's just to get ready. So during the spring, you're sitting there and you're just waiting to maybe see that guy start for the first time this spring. Maybe he hasn't started yet. Maybe Shane Bieber is getting slow played into um, how he ramps up his activities this spring. So he's not going to start until, let's say, March 7th, throwing on a random day. Um, March 7th, you're going to go in and you're going to see if he looks okay, especially then you start thinking about the trends that they had last year. Um, Bieber's big one being that his velocity was down. And so you're like, okay, going into this, you're not going to expect his velocity to be what it'll be in July in his first spring outing. But you're going to just be like, okay, let's make a mental note of where it is now and see if he builds. Um, so it just, it depends on the person, but you're looking more for trends and how they're going to impact their team this year. And that's what everyone wants to make sure is that each guy that a fan is expecting to do x thing this year josh bell's expected to hit home runs this year does he look like his timing at the plate is ready to go is he grounding out a lot is he struggling to get the ball like 
in that perfect line drive territory? Is he struggling to show any power? Whatever it might be, you just want to know that the guy is on track to do what they think he's going to do. Is Emmanuel Classe not getting up to that 100-mile-an-hour cutter? Um, is his location off? Um, and so it's just looking at each individual person rather than the team as a whole, which seems really strange in a team sport. But that's the mindset of spring training of, okay, is everyone doing what they need to do to be ready? What is it like to be in a hotel for 45 days? Oh, my. The adjectives I don't think have been created yet. Um, it's boring. I get addicted to the smallest of activities because the smallest of activity is better than doing nothing. Um, Arizona's been great for hiking. Love hiking around this area. Um, the last two years, I would just walk around the plaza that my hotel is in um countless times until i'm bored with that and then come back inside it's a lot <laughs> you have to make sure you're doing an extended stay type of hotel so that you at least have a kitchen if you don't have that i don't know how anyone would survive in a hotel without at least a kitchen because i can't oh i i can i can eat out every day and i can try to eat panda express every day because i'm two for two so far i've been here for two days panda once each day but each meal would be a different story. Each day, no. Each meal, that's rough. So you need something. Um, so yeah, it gets tiring. And like, this is going to be my soapbox moment. It is 2023. And you're telling me that hotels still haven't figured out that the curtains should be on different rods so that there's not that middle light coming through. I mean, some of us like to sleep in on off days. And I don't mean like, oh, I slept until 8 today. All of you people who say that sleeping in, it is not. I'm like getting up at 11. And the sun is very bright at that point. I don't want the middle curtain to be a thing, like the middle opening. So that's my soapbox moment. So, yes, uh, those are the downfalls. Laura Albanese, who covers uh, New York sports for Newsday, often tweets out that she will take the hanger from the closet, the <laughs> ones that have the little claw clips on them, and clip it to the uh, to Genius. the curtains to get Genius. it to stay. So uh, hat tip, Laura, FYI, for your Genius. next off day. Genius. I need that. Okay. <laughs> I need to know that because the, the metal crack of light is just yeah. not okay. No. Anyway, but it's fun. It's an enjoyable time. I There's literally nothing like it. To be able to say you stay here for six weeks and almost seven and get to watch baseball every single day in the, the desert, it's just, it's as cool as it gets. So excited that it's finally here. I'm glad we finally have some more content and each week we're going to get more and more as we're finding out about players showing up and games beginning and who, how so-and-so did and how they're looking. We're going to have so much more to talk about. I'm excited to keep getting into each division that we're going to be going around the horn with. Um, we started, obviously, today with the NLS with Juan. Juan was the perfect person to start off with. So I'm excited to keep going. But I think if we step aside now, we can finally get into favorite moments from baseball when there's actually players doing things. So we finally can have concrete stuff rather than maybe a hit they did on MLB Network or something like that over the offseason. So we'll go through all of those when we get back.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, I'm sure, as I said at the beginning of this show, that your heart has been on overload because of all of the videos that we have seen, the photos that we have seen of things starting to ramp up again. Do you have a favorite moment from people starting to get back to camp? Is it something even before people started showing up at camp? What, at least, can you narrow it down to one? I know you always struggle with that, of what you've seen this past week. So mine is actually someone en route to camp. I (laughs) knew you were going to steal it. I, you know, sometimes you should get to go first because- No, it's okay. I'm it's taking okay. yours. It was Bryce Harper. So Bryce Harper was in Arizona for the Super Bowl and the, uh, what's it called, Waste Management Open, I believe, the uh, golf. He and Juan Soto, by the way, sitting together. Love that. Uh, but obviously Harper had to fly back to Florida uh, to get two spring training or maybe to Philly to pack up. Not sure. Uh, after Sunday. So on, I guess, Monday morning, uh, his wife, Kayla, posted something on Instagram on her story showing that uh, she said when you get asked to sign and you don't have a pen, you give your shoe instead. And it was a video of Bryce Harper walking through an airport with one shoe on in public i mean it was so so perfect and so funny and just like i mean this is why we love this sport we love these athletes and uh yeah here we go when you can't find a sharpie to sign a hat for a fan you find a pen and give him your left shoe and i mean it's very rare that we see major league athletes multiple time mvp winners like Bryce Harper, looks silly. But he looks really silly because he is walking through an airport with one sock and one sneaker. So uh, that is my moment. And I'm sorry to take it from you, but there was plenty over the last week. Okay, well, one, I have to double down on that because, like you said, it's it's you never see superstar type of players celebrities whatever it may be looking like that looking weird in public doing anything to draw attention to themselves and I think that the bigger the name the more you're likely to expect that in public they blow you off and that's what you expect that they don't take the time to 
not even just sign or take a picture, but go out of their way to make sure you're getting what you need as a fan. And so to see someone of that type of stature, that name, that level of fame, go to those that extent to make that fan's day, that the type of thing is what is as good as it gets for me. Um, I think this is going to be a really personal backup one, so... Uh, and I haven't even told you this yet because we haven't had much time to talk today. So I think my second favorite one isn't even like a public moment. It was more um, as soon as Terry Francona saw me today, whenever we were, this was my first day at camp on Tuesday, Valentine's Day, um, February 14th, uh, he came over and just wanted to make sure he told me that he thought your speech in New York was incredible. Um, and so he was like, it was so funny. And I was like, yep, she did really well. And um, I thought that moment was cool because anyone who doesn't know you, I'm going to embarrass you, but um, Sarah received an award at the New York chapter BBWAA dinner um, end of January, last weekend of January. Uh, I guess it's coming up on three weeks now, which I don't even know how that's possible. Um, and that's the dinner that all the players who win BBWAA awards, like Manager of the Year, Rookie of the Year, MVP, Cy Young, they all get their awards um, in person there. And Sarah got one as well. She was up on the uh, the stage with everybody else and gave a, a speech for hers. And so for three weeks later, to keep Tito remembering anything three weeks later, it <laughs> takes a lot of effort, and he would be the first to admit that. Um, but for him to come over, remember that, and make sure that he relayed that message on of how good the speech was, I thought that was great. Easy answer for one of my favorite moments that I've had so far um, since spring training started, and it's been all of a couple hours. So uh, I think that's going to have to be my backup, which probably should have been number one anyway. So I'll take that. That's very sweet of him. Please thank him. And by the way, so everybody knows, he went up there and said that his goal <laughs> was to have the shortest speech. So he thanked his organization, his coaches, his players, and I was like, all right, I'm done. Uh, so our speeches were slightly different lengths. So you know what? Thanks to Tito for yielding some of his time back to me that I was able to use. Yeah, yours was at least at the beginning of the night. I could tell by the time they got to Tito, he was very antsy, and he was struggling to sit still that long. So I leaned over to my husband, who I was there with, and I said, yeah, this is going to be really short. And he walked up, and he said the exact thing that you just said. I'm going to try to be the shortest speech of the night. All right, thanks, bye. And it was uh, as Tito as it got. So, yes, I thought that was a great moment. So there you go. You Now you get the surprise. I didn't even get to text you to warn you beforehand. I think that's a good way to end it. I think that's a good uh, moment to end on. And we're going to have thousands more now, which is so much nicer than, you know, using just a hit or a random thing a guy tweets. So um, that'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying this show and or if you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you as always for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast and we'll see you next week.